Hey guys, and welcome to the Train Like a Ranger podcast, where we talk about all things fitness, nutrition, and military prep. I'm Dan Burnett, Jay Tunney, wave high. And we have a very special guest today, John Thompson. How's it going, John? Uh, it's going pretty well. How are you doing today? Doing good. So uh, we're excited to talk to you. We got a lot to talk about. Um, so thank you for your time, first of all. Um, I guess we want to start by getting into who you are, where you come from, and why you chose to join the Army. So I'm Jonathan Thompson, originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Lived all over the place ever since then. Of course, being in the Army will do that to you. But whole family was military. My dad was in the National Guard, deployed to Afghanistan. My grandfather was in the Air Force. My uncle was in the Air Force. Shoot, I have family in the military going all the way back to the American Civil War. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, We won't ask which side. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) The Union side. (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) But it's just kind of a family tradition and not like it was an expectation of me growing up. Just, just the culture of my family was you're going to join the military and all, all my brothers have, are either still in right now or we're in and got out. So I all growing up, I was that kid that had to have his hands on stuff. I, uh, my stepdad used to say that, me and my brothers were three entirely different people. You'd say the stove's hot. I was the one who had to go touch it to prove that it was. And my other brothers, one wouldn't care and the other would just believe you. So three entirely different people, three entirely different jobs in the military. I wanted super hands-on one. That's where explosive ordnance disposal came in. And that is one of the most hands-on job that I saw you could get in the military. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I I said whenever I met you, you know, we found out you're a vet and we started talking about uh, stuff. You said EOD. And I said, oh, so you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So that's uh, that's crazy, man. So why why did you choose uh, EOD? Uh, Specifically explosives. I grew up always tinkering with stuff, working on my cars, working just playing with tools type of thing. And 4th of July was, I was that weird kid that loved the 4th of July. Cause I love to stick firecrackers and stuff and blow it up. So you I, like the, yeah, you like the, the fireworks, the explosives. I was actually, I was actually looking at going to college at the university of Missouri science, science and technology campus in uh, Rolla. They've got a minor in explosives engineering. Okay. And then senior year of high school, I said, I'm tired of school. I'm going to go do something different. Talk to a recruiter. They had uh, to see what they had to offer. They had combat engineer and explosive ordnance disposal. And uh, there were actually no combat engineer slots open. So EOD was it. My ASVAB scores were high enough to qualify for EOD. And I think someone was looking out for me that day because... I much enjoyed my life better than the combat engineers I was deployed with. Yeah. How, um, so when you signed up to be EOD, did they tell you how, how, cause I know that the school rate, the attrition rate for that school is crazy high. I mean, we had three or four guys in our AIT 
who are EOD failures. Did they, did the recruiter tell you that up front that they were like, Hey, you know, this is going to be tough. And if you don't make it, you're going to get, they're going to give you a job. That was more uh, when we got to AIT type thing. Of course, the recruiters are, I mean, my recruiter didn't sit there and lie to me. He said it was hard, but I also got a 98 on my ASVAB. Okay. I wasn't, he wasn't particularly worried about me failing out of it. And I mean, just because I got a 98 on my ASVAB doesn't mean anything when it actually came to school, because you could be as book smart as you want. There is no amount of studying for anything that you can do going in to that school because it's all classified. They teach you everything you need to know there. And you're actually doing more harm to yourself if you try to study before going. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because that was a that was a follow on question. So what tips would you give to people to be ready beforehand? Like, is there any other skills that they can acquire going into it? Be familiar with hand tools. Honestly, um, like know how to operate just simple manual hand tools is beneficial and the ability to have your mind be a sponge because they are just throwing information at you nine to five all day long. But as soon as five o'clock ends, you're done. There's no studying you can do because you can't take anything home with you. Okay. That's so it's all, you're not yeah. taking any papers home. There's no, no guides like, or anything. They like shred that stuff. Wow. Okay. I would not have passed EOD school, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> they give you the tools to succeed while you're there. It's just on your own recognizance to actually utilize those tools effectively because they'll give you enough rope to either climb out of the hole or hang yourself there's i mean nine to five there's only so much they can talk about and you have study hall periods before class over lunch and after class if you so desire to where you can get your hands on pieces of equipment go out in their uh, practice lanes to get practice on various pieces of ordnance if you feel like you need that and the instructors are willing to sit there and help you through it, too. It's not just a, well, hi type deal. Right. So, you know, it's the attrition rate's pretty high. Now, it's also a long AIT. It's about nine months long. Is that right? So for the Army, it's a little bit longer than that. Uh, the actual NAV school EOD at Eglin Air Force Base is about nine months. But if you're in the Army... Before you ever get to that point, you go to Fort Lee, Virginia for like a prep course because it costs when I was going through EOD school, they said it was about a million dollars, a soldier, sailor, airman, marine to go through that school. I believe it. So they want you, they want to know that you're going to pass before they spend all that money on you. So for about two months at Fort Lee, Virginia, they have a prep course for soldiers. And as long as you pass that is when you go down to Florida. Okay. So from basic to the time you get to your unit, I mean, that's, you're looking at 14, 15 months before you get anywhere. And that's without maybe even the breaks in between. 
I shipped mm-hmm. to basic training June of 2014, and I got to my unit probably August of 15. Okay. Yeah, so okay. about 14. <clears throat> so would you say, so throughout the nine months, is it just like a high, um, I guess, selection the entire time? Like, is it, are you getting like weeded out the entire time through those nine months? Is it pretty hard the whole time? So they have different phases of EOD school when you get there. Okay. Uh, you start off just basic demolition. This is a block of C4 and how it works. And then you move through various phases of the schoolhouse. And I mean, y'all can look it up online and kind of guess which one's the hardest. I don't know that I'm at liberty to say myself which one the hardest is, but there's definitely a, uh, a uphill climb and then a downhill slope. And it's right about there in the middle where it is the toughest. Okay. I mean, so, I guess ideally you want it to be tough. I mean, when you're working with explosives, you don't always get a second chance. It's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, I was talking to Daniel and uh, like when we first met each other, he said, so you're crazy. I'm like, no, you just kind of have to have an attitude of, I'm either going to do my job right or it's not my problem anymore. <laughs> like the, the the slogan is initial success or total failure, which I thought was, uh, was really yeah. good. And yeah. uh, that is spot on. Cause you're either going to succeed or uh, that's all she wrote pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I know my experience being in, in convoys real world, I just remember not wanting, like, I never, we never got hit by anything, but I remember that, that anxiety of like, oh man, I hope we don't hit anything. You know, you were the guy that were like, let me go touch exactly what that thing is. Oh, y'all found one. Let me go, let me go fix it. You know, like you're the guy going to go, you know, uh, diffuse the thing. So I think that's, yeah, that's nuts. It's, it's awesome though. It's absolutely awesome. But I just uh, there was a question from one of the followers that say, how do you walk around with those giant uh, balls of steel? <laughs> uh, lots of squats. <laughs> uh, what's your, what's your squats at now? You, you're John's very strong, by the way. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Ever since I blew up my MCL, I've been scared to do squats. That's fair. Yeah. I'm I'm just getting back into it and my deadlift is only 465 right now. Only. I'm only. A, my one rep max in <laughs> Afghanistan was 550. Wow. So that is a considerable drop for me. But <laughs> hey, everyone's gotta restart somewhere. I'm just yeah, down to the You're point restarting where... at 465 though, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not repping, that's just one rep. Yeah. What about what about the squat? What was your squat at? My squat, actually, my squat was four sixty five over there. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, he's but a strong dude. Hitting the thousand pound club with two exercises instead of three. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, actually, when I was over there, Task Force EOD gave me a Army Achievement Medal for the thousand pound club. Really? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. They uh, said anyone in country who hits the thousand pound club will give you an uh, Army Achievement Medal. And, I was one of the guys that got it. Nice. Yeah. So you said something earlier that I, I want to touch on. You said um, you thought the guy was looking out for you because EOD had a had a more, um, I guess, 
uh, I can't remember the phrase you use, but a better life than the combat engineer. Can you explain that? We just got treated better, to be honest, because it is such a specialized field. Yeah. They, to be honest, let us get away with a little bit more. Like there's a stereotype uh, about EOD guys that, of course, you have your AR and DA PAM 670-1 and uh, grooming standards, hair, both on your head and facial hair were constantly uh, on the line, if not <laughs> toe over the line. Oh, okay, it, so it's it's very much like uh, I, I consider EOD like a, a form of special ops. I mean, it is what it is. So, you know, it's kind of like the same for us as far as like we would grow our hair out a little bit longer and stuff. Now we, pro we the facial hair, unless you're like part of the recce group, like reconnaissance or something, we, we couldn't have that. But um, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I definitely could see how that would be. No, uh, like beards was obviously still a no go, but my mustache right now is longer than what it was then, but not by much. Yeah, and of course, you know, grooming standard is right here on either side of your lip. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was growing a mustache. Uh, I shaved it yesterday because we were getting on this podcast. It wasn't, it wasn't going good. <laughs> I, uh, I was feeling kind of good about it. And I asked my wife, I was like, you think this is podcast ready tomorrow? She said, it looks like somebody smoothed poop across your upper lip. And I was like, oh, I got to shave it now. Dude. Oh, no. You say that to me. You, you could have just got some hair dye and dyed it darker. Yeah. yeah. A little bit sharpy, dude. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. no, for anyone actually looking who wants to go EOD, being able to study hard, like work hard and play hard is the biggest thing. Because yeah. you got to be able to go back and go back to your room, go back to your house and relax. And I mean, shoot EOD schools in Destin, Florida. If, yeah. If you right. can't have a good time, you're not looking very hard. Right. And at least when I was in granted, that was shoot seven years ago when I was going through school, but they treated us just like we were regular service members. Like we were stationed at the base. Yeah. Of course, we still had curfew because we were AIT soldiers, but we could have cars go out on the town. Just had to be back by nine o'clock on the weekends was it. So, yeah, I did some time in Eglin for sure. Um, I uh, I did some training out there before. I love I love Destin. It's like that the sand is uh, the beaches are super clean. I thought mm -hmm. the, the sand is nice. It looks like so it's so light. It looks like snow pretty much mm -hmm. like. Uh, really cool place, but um, that's also where uh, Florida Phase is, over uh, over near Eglin. So, yeah, he probably had actually, more fun, I think, out there than you did in uh, Florida Phase, though. For sure, dude. <laughs> I yeah, I like to tell people I spent a, quite a bit of time there. But. Probably, but uh, I probably had more fun there than you did. <laughs> but I actually nav school EODs not very too far as the crow flies from where you were training. Yeah, like it's on that okay. same strip of road. Like you okay. drive out. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, you go through those gates. You pass the schoolhouse going out to uh, the Florida phase where you guys were. No way. Yeah, uh, that's cool. I didn't know it was that close. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. 
So what is uh we got another question from a from a follower that says uh what was one of the scariest things that you did as a as an EOD guy? I wouldn't say anything was particularly scary. It's that mindset of initial success or total failure that you gotta be in. You some would call it cocky, but you have to be able to rely on your skill set and knowledge base to know you're going to do it right. Um, man, the scariest thing that... I got something for you. Scariest thing I had to do was actually teach classes. <laughs> not where i thought you were going with that dude <laughs> not because i was scared for my life but i was scared for other people's yeah i of course you get pre-deployment training with every unit you go to but some it's not as good as others so whenever guys would come to afghanistan everyone first came to bagram and then got fragged out from there they had about a week of uh ordinance identification ground sign awareness so on and so forth that i taught okay. like my team was the one assigned to teach those guys and if i didn't teach them right they could get hurt right so if i didn't give them the tools they needed to succeed ultimately that comes back on me and that is the scariest thing because I want to make sure that I give people what they need in order to be safe out there. And that if they need to call up an EOD team, they know to do it. Right. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Cause I mean, a lot of the times when you think about things that are scary, like, especially like, you know, you or me and Daniel, even like we were trained to do what we were going to do. And like, we were either going to go do it. Or like you said, like it wasn't going to be our issue anymore or something. Else. But like when you have the responsibility of other people, I definitely think that is an absolutely more like scary and like I'll to have that responsibility and be responsible for those people and like what they do in their lives is definitely probably, yeah, a lot more scary. I can say than you know, you having to go do something yourself that you're putting yourself into that situation. Um, right. Because I volunteered to do this job. Like, I, I said, yes, I'll be the guy to walk down on whatever it happens to be. Those guys back there didn't agree to that. Right. They, they need to know when to call me to keep both them and me safe. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for scariest thing I ever did. Yeah, I'm sure you did a good job. You know, we had talked before. Well, he's still um, here, so yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's what matters. Um, ten fingers too. That's a that's a plus. You know, we talked about. Uh, so we got some demo training. We would get it kind of routinely. Um, ours was more about breaching, but you know, I had talked to you about it, and you started talking about all the things that you knew, and mm -hmm. I was like, you were like an encyclopedia. You know, like. Uh, and uh, like I've hung out at your house before, seen all the all the cool like deployment uh, memorabilia and stuff that you had, like some really cool stuff. Like you had um, stuff from like explosives and things that you kept um, kind of like uh, trophy pieces almost. But uh, yeah, it was super cool. So 
Yeah, you got a lot of knowledge. Yeah, we were just taught um, these pieces of Play-Doh that go together. You, you plug them into this thing over here. You walk away a little bit, and you just you click it, and then you get to go in the door. Boom, dude. That was the extent of our <laughs> exposure. <laughs> right. it, it is amazing, like, the science behind explosives that they teach you, not only in the schoolhouse, but when you get to your unit. Because, I mean, the schoolhouse truly teaches you how to do stuff safely. And once you get to your unit, they teach you how to do it efficiently. Okay. And that's where you learn all the secret, like the tips of the trade, the, I don't want to say where you can cut corners because you'd never cut corners doing that kind of thing, but where you can speed stuff up a little bit where you're probably what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yes. So, um, whenever you do deploy, and granted, this is, you know, this is going to look different as, as, you know, the wars change and things like that. But as it was, were you guys kind of like hanging out till you got a call? And, and how often would you get those kind of calls? I'm not going to sit here and uh, lie to you, Daniel. I would go back in a heartbeat. I loved it over there. Because yeah. we were doing exactly like you described. We were kind of just sitting around waiting on a call. That's why my lifts got so big is because yeah. <laughs> I would open my bedroom door and right there was a gym. Yeah. And I was either going out on a combat patrol, lifting weights, teaching a class, or just waiting. You know, that's a weird, that's a weird thing um, to try to explain to people because people have this idea of, you know, what a deployment is going to be like. And I told them for us too, it was, it was almost like a vacation. So when we'd go, you know, you'd have those real world missions, which some are hard, some are exciting, you know, but there was a lot of downtime too. So there was a lot of time to go to the gym. And for us, like we didn't have cell phones. So we turned in our cell phones. So it's kind of like this getaway where you get rid of a lot of the technology. And then like, I read a bunch of books. I worked out a lot. Um, had a whole lot of, a whole lot of, um, I guess, downtime, but it was almost like an escape. It was an escape from the routine kind of um, the bureaucracy of the military. And it was more of a real feel type thing. So yeah, I, I enjoyed deploying as well, but um, that's so interesting to hear how, how it works for you guys as well. Cause um, it sounds very, um, very, very similar to how we operated now. Um, now, granted, the the call thing is there like is there like some days where you get a bunch of calls and then there would be a lull of time where you don't get anything at all? Oh, absolutely. To the most frequent call we caught was for any kind of indirect fire, because anytime you hear that incoming, incoming, incoming alarm, everyone else is diving in a bunker. I'm going and starting the truck up. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, it, it was always fun being in the D hall whenever we were over there, hear that come in and the guard would try to tell me I can't leave. And I just kind of look at my shoulder where it says EOD and then he'd let me go. Yeah. Said, yeah. I do not. I do not want to sit here and wait for the EOD team to go find that thing, because sometimes I may have not been on call when I was in the dining hall. <laughs> but uh, I didn't want to sit there and wait because there is that stereotype of EOD being slow. Yeah. So, and I knew the guys who were going to it. 
I didn't want to wait on them in the D hall. Right. I wanted to go back to my compound. <laughs> That's a good play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how long, how long was, uh, was the deployment for you? Oh, it was nine months, nine months. Wow. But it's that was time. for a conventional deployment. There are special operations support deployments that I never went on one of those. So I don't, couldn't tell you how long that is, but those are so vastly different from a conventional EOD deployment that I wouldn't even know where to start with that. I only ever deployed conventional. Okay. I think actually, I almost think when we went, um, they, like all of our people, specialists, people that were attached to us, didn't they? I thought they actually did do nine months and they would just stay there and then the next people would come in and they would just be their people now. <clears throat> yeah, I think you are right about that. I tried to yeah. be not too vague, but then also not too yeah. <laughs> too uh, detailed. Um, but yeah, I think they actually did have nine months, and then we would rotate in and out, and they would just stay okay. and help the next people. Yeah, um, but ours oh, weren't army it. either. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what I was gonna say because we had a we had a different. I, I believe it was navy. We had navy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, did they have a good time. Oh. Yeah. The Navy guys, like, <laughs> so going back to uh, the schoolhouse just for a second, uh, it is a naval school on an Air Force base taught by all services. So you're in class with soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen. Okay. And the Air Force, Marines, and Army, they're all done at the end of the nine months. And then the Navy guys, have three more months at the end of that where they get to deal with all the naval stuff. Right. Okay. So they're dealing with the, the underwater underwater and then yeah. Naval Mm -hmm. munitions. Wow. So I bet they got to get, um, scuba type stuff too. Right. Most of those guys. So how we have our prerequisite course, all the guys I talked to came from Panama, uh, city, I think where they just got done in dive school. Must okay. be must be tough going from Panama City to Destin, Florida, and Jeez. <laughs> rough. <laughs> uh, have a real rough time going through this training. I went from um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to, <laughs> um, to to Benning. To Benning, oh so, man, yeah, the fun Ooh. don't stop, dude. Right, jealous oh. of me. Good old mm. lot in Oklahoma. I uh, the. The nine months I was in Destin was my only reprieve because I went from Fort Jackson, South Carolina to Fort Lee, got my vacation in Destin, and then right to Fort Hood. The, oh, yeah, yeah. The great place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oof. the great place. Oof, yeah, I got a brother right now. He's in bliss. I can't imagine being stationed in Texas just because, like, it was hot in here, but in Savannah, like, I could not imagine going to do PT in the morning in Texas in July. Yeah, yeah, it's um, hot for sure. It uh, was not enjoyable, but most yeah. of the time, whenever we did PT, it wasn't it wasn't your typical. See, I can't even think of what the name of the Army PT warm ups are right it's now. Cra- it's crazy. Wait, are you telling me the EOD dudes didn't meet up for in the morning and go on company runs? That's crazy. No, it, it was usually <laughs> all right. Meet us on turkey run road with your rucksack loaded to 60 pounds yeah yeah yeah. 
Yeah. So that that's similar for us too. So like our PT, like we get out there and get after it, like, or we go to the gym or we go run and there was no, you know, we kind of, our mentality was like, there's no cadence. Like if you can, if you can do cadence, you're not running hard enough was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the mindset we had, but, um, well, we had, yeah, the, that's interesting with being conventional and special operations support. We had to be able to keep up with the special operations guys, right? which is why we were all right, meet and we're going to go on a ruck march. We're not going to sit here and do the push up drill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, count push up. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's interesting. You did say yeah. something uh, before the pod too, that, that I, you just made me think of when you talked about being stationed in Texas, you said EOD is one of the, the few jobs where you can work um, foreign and domestic. Mm-hmm. So you guys actually respond to calls on the domestic side too. Can you go into that? Um, so it is actually, of course you have your civilian bomb squads too, but it is insofar as I understand it, federal law, anything military, the military has to deal with. So there were times when military ordinance would show up places, whether it's a decommissioned airstrip from Vietnam, like there's a, can't think of the name of it right now. There was a helicopter base in mineral wells that in vietnam they were doing runs practicing before they got sent over to vietnam and they find ordinance up there all the time so they have to send teams up to go deal with those wow. and actually getting to do my job stateside and deployed is amazing how, it's not- sorry how different is it to deal with munitions from like Vietnam era to, to now, like how much, tra- does, how much question. does, does it change over time and how much training do you get? Is it in like technique scientifically, like from this era, they kind of do this, so on and so forth or whatever you can tell me, obviously don't, you know, I'm not asking. They do a really good job of teaching you what you're looking at and how to recognize what you're looking at. Okay. And you have to treat what you're looking at accordingly. I sorry, I can't go into much more detail than that. Yeah, that's that's okay. Yeah, but it's like like car guys, right? So, to some people, a sports car is a sports car, whereas a car guy's like, no, that's a 1973 Stingray, that type of thing. Okay, they kind of teach us that equivalent of dealing with ordinance. Okay, and I guess it probably helps you understand um, because I mean the concept for you know, an explosive is roughly the same across like certain things need to, you know, be happening and be present. So I guess with the knowledge that you have, you can probably at some points try to figure it out also like the same way Mm -hmm. everyone knows car guys, like you said, know how a car works, even if foreign domestic kind of, but the concept of the car is roughly the same. Even going back decades and decades, it's not like how, an explosive works has really changed. Yeah. You just, so even if you have no freaking clue what that thing is, like it is entirely unintelligible. You can still treat it just with your general safety precautions and you can still, things have a distinctive shape to them to dictate how you are going to treat it. And you're going to know at least the family of what it is. Yeah. 
um, follow-up question to that, um, and this is going to be something you may not be able to answer, like even as vaguely as that. Um, do you guys learn much about um, uh, radioactive materials and explosives and stuff like that, or is that like a whole separate thing that people learn? A diff- or how does that work? Let me uh, hit up Google real quick before I answer that question. <laughs> I just wasn't. He's sure gonna check to see if the TMs TMs on Google. Yeah, I just because I know that like uh, radioactive ordnance and things like that, like you know, um, are just a little different. So I wasn't sure if nuclear weapons were part of your. Oh, d- Tony, you're speaking way. my language. You know, I have like this weird obsession with nuclear stuff. Yeah, well, I'm just curious. I just didn't know if it was a different a different people or you know so i was just interested and i actually and i mean you know, i'm in school right now i did a couple of speeches about nuclear power and stuff and how that all works but it's just so different i feel like like the way they're you know using the um atoms and stuff i just wasn't sure if that was in the purview of eod or, yeah. or something else yeah i got um i got super into chernobyl like I, I watched that documentary and then i started doing all this research into it um super interested in that kind of stuff um i'm trying to get you an answer to that question you're good i mean worst case scenario we can always clip uh cut parts too if it's too long of silence or whatever but um Mm -hmm. but yeah i just i was curious because i know um you know especially i I can't even imagine what eod did guys in like europe because they just have so many ordinances over there from world war ii and world war one and stuff just all over the place all the time oh I would absolutely love to have been stationed in Europe somewhere because of all that World War II stuff that's over there. When I was stationed in Italy with the 173rd, like there's a fence that you can't go past because like it was a minefield. It's it literally like it's it's the base here, a fence, minefield. And like, oh my god, you just yeah, and the city is also <laughs> right there, so like, it's you just can't go there. Um, they it's, like uh, say it's probably it's fine now, but they're like, probably. just don't go, just, <laughs> just don't go on there. Yeah, I'm not gonna walk mm-hmm. on a field where it's probably fine. Yeah, probably I need fine. definitely I fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. even know. I think if I knew a place a minefield ever, I don't know how <laughs> yeah. safe I'm gonna be. That's a wrap for me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll take so it I got. Away. I got an answer for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So on the joint service transcript for EOD school, you get credits on your JAST for explosive ordnance handling and safety, ordnance handling, uh, chemical contamination and decontamination, and chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear fundamentals. Okay. Okay. Mm. Yep. Um, that's, that's interesting. Cool. I would, that would be that like that. I would never be able to be EOD just like the, I just don't think I have the brain capacity for it. Like, I'm not a dumb guy, but I'm not that smart. Nah. But, I mean, they teach you, they give you the tools you need to succeed in that career field. Um, yeah. Oof. That's, that would be scary. I actually, oh, yeah. Nuclear weapons are scary. Um, that's interesting. No, we uh, actually, my battalion fell under uh the chemical brigade there on fort hood so we had to deal with the seaburn guys and good old seaburn guys a seaburn a seaburn ftx is much different from an eod ftx yeah 
I had to go to NTC with the Seaburn Brigade. And the whole thing was Seaburn-oriented NTC rotation. So there was almost no nothing for me to do hardly at all. No explosives. It was all chemical stuff. And since they had Seaburn guys, they dealt with it. So I just got really good at gin rummy while I was there. <laughs> Wait, what's the word again? Gin rummy, it's a card game. Yeah. Okay, okay. I thought I thought you said gymeronomy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I thought you were just saying like you were working out. But, no. Okay. Where does he work out in TC? I feel like you don't have a lot. <laughs> There's a gym there. Well, yeah. Not in the not box. A, like, what you no, saying? no, not in the yeah. box. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, I know there's a NTC. gym somewhere near the NTC, but it's not inside the event area. Um, I was uh, actually curious. Uh, I don't know if you can answer these. How, how does it work? Um, you know, after you finish AIT, you go to your unit, uh, unfortunately for you in Fort Hood. And um, <laughs> how how does it break down? So like, are there like five EOD dudes in like, and then you w- one get attached to all five of you are attached. How does how does the how does the um, I'm like spacing the word right now, but like the how, what's the kind of the layout of of what your unit looked like? So yeah, the structure yeah. of my unit, we only had about thirty guys in it in the whole company. So That's you had crazy. you wow. had three platoons. Uh, three three-man teams per platoon. So you had your team leader and two team members. And uh, after about... So you, you graduate school, you're a basic EOD badge, right? After three years, you become eligible for your senior badge, and that's about the timeline that they start trying to get you team leader certified. Well, a little bit before then, so you try to you get your senior badge and your team leader certification at the same time. And then you'll be running your own team with two guys below you. And that's just kind of the structure you had in the army. You all deploy as one company and the air force deploys as a team. Okay. Which I mean, maybe because I'm army is why that seems so weird to me. I would want all 30 guys to go. Yeah. But we had, when I went, it was my company was responsible for the northern half of Afghanistan. So we got to Bagram and then got fragged out from there. Okay. When you, so, well, you said you were attached to Seaburn. So when you go out, do you attach, when you deploy, did you attach to like different units that you hadn't been attached to before? Or it was it like, did you know the guys you were getting attached to when you got fragged out from Bagram? Uh, well, the information since then has changed because, as I recall, EOD is its own branch now. Uh, but it did fall under chemical when I was still in. But okay. when we when we deployed, it was just the company deploying, and we fell under Task Force EOD. And then, when you went out to diff- all those other places, it would, you would be meeting those guys for the first time when you got there. Yeah, it was. Hi, I'm your EOD team. Okay, okay, I'm over here. <laughs> I swear I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you can trust me, I swear. Um, okay, that is, that's scary. Well, I think about it sometimes, too. I mean, common engineers bringing in explosives, EOD dealing with explosives. Like, it's weird that you don't actually know those guys or how they operate or how good they are. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, sometimes you, like, I knew what medic I wanted to give me an IV. But, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know my EOD. You don't meet the EOD guys till later. So, like, you don't know which EOD guy you want to be <laughs> dealing with the explosive you found on the road. 
or mm-hmm. and and John, you, you told me about being attached to other people, and you said like there's some <laughs> people you loved working with, and then there were some people you were sketched out working with. So, can you talk that, about any of that at all? That is an accurate statement. There were not American. All the American guys I was with, fantastic. Wouldn't trade them for the world. But there were honestly the language barrier was some of the hardest thing to get over, not just between me and the Afghan National Army, but just the various coalition forces we were there with, that we would have to try to communicate what we want through an interpreter who then, we didn't know if they were translating correctly, accurately, or anything. So that was, that's a little sketchy when you don't know if they're translating correctly. And if I understand this correctly, so you weren't just, EOD support for American forces, but for coalition forces whenever they do their missions as well. I was EOD support for the entire base. That's very interesting, yeah. How it was when I was there, any combat patrol that was leaving had a team with them. Okay. And and you mentioned language barrier, but you also have to think too, depending on where you are and who you're working with, like some different countries have much different levels and standards of what they consider safe and unsafe actions. Um, Cause I remember I was doing an arty shoot with some people when I was over in Europe and like they shot around and they never saw it. They're like, yeah, I probably hit a tree or something. Cause they shot them more straight than we did. They weren't, they weren't so arced. They're like, if mm-hmm. I hit a tree, we'll just send it again. And they sent it again. I still didn't see it. They're like, well, we'll just move it a little to the left and send another one. I was like, you didn't see any of those rounds anywhere. I don't, you're just going to keep going. Like, I don't, there's <laughs> level of what they considered safe was not the level that I considered safe. Yeah. Luckily, whenever, uh, whenever it turned into an EOD scene, whatever me or my team leader said was the law. Like, it didn't matter if you had, the uh, Secretary of Defense there. If it was an active EOD scene, that team leader was in charge. Yeah. Gotcha. So we could make it safe for us, but that's safe for us and safe for them. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of weight, but that's a lot of power as well. You know? Yeah. You, uh, I mean, Everyone's there to just to do their job and go home at the end of the day. Sure. But to do that job, you had to love the guys behind you more than yourself. Yeah. And that, uh, I don't know. It, there's never really a, oh, I, because this didn't happen, like, in some fields, you have the you get to see the direct actions of what you did, but because something didn't happen, is what made my job worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, right. those people are going home to their families because of you. Yeah, like, but like it, it's not a you know you did your job because nothing happened. Yeah, and that's what differentiates EOD from a lot of other jobs because other jobs you get to see the fruits of your labor. Whereas what I did, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing is a good day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 Um, 
Well, that's very interesting. And as far as the, the physical requirements for EOD, you know, obviously you said, um, you know, you got to be prepared physically to be attached to mm-hmm. special operations forces. So you're at special operations type um, physicality. Now going into the EOD school, is there um, like physical tests that they put you through that criteria you have to hit? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you just have to be able to exist in the bomb suit. That thing's 85 pounds of pure hell. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's weighted out all over your entire body, so it doesn't feel like that. But when you're in that bomb suit for two hours at a time, it starts to wear on you. So you got to make sure you have a good cardiovascular system to be able to just exist in that suit, let alone think in it. Cause you got to be able to know what you're doing and do it safely all while you're wearing that 85 pound suit, walking down on things, however long you end up having to walk. And like I said, you're in that suit for two hours at a time, you get hot, your whole body gets hot. And it gets hard to think sometimes when you're overheated like that. Yeah. So just making sure you are physically capable and ready for that kind of strenuous activity is very important. I couldn't even That's- imagine. I mean, we did mop gear, Daniel, like when we would get in our seat and stuff. That was weighed almost nothing. I I couldn't do anything in that stuff. Like oh, that yeah. was awful. I could not imagine being in the 85 mop suit and actually functioning not only mentally but physically like you're actually like manipulating at a high level like that and absolutely that would i would that would not be good that's why he's in a thousand pound club with two yeah that's yeah Yeah. (laughs) no um no yeah for real and that's something i think a lot of people who maybe are looking to go into the military or they look on the military that's something maybe they don't picture is the gear so and and nothing on that level because i hear the bomb suit is absolute hell i hear it's so horrible but um you know, like even just like the day-to-day um, body armor, the helmet, um, all that stuff, it it can feel cumbersome. Like you, we we had tricks that kind of made it make it carry better, and there there would be these things we do, but you can only do so much. You know, you operate for hours on a on a mission, or especially training events where you're out there sometimes for days and stuff. Um, that gear can feel really cumbersome, mm-hmm. um, and it does it it makes it harder to to think it's not like you're just going out there and doing what you know you also have that factor of carrying around the gear um and especially for the guys who would go out for days missions you know they'd also carry the rucksack too and all the extra stuff they had to bring mres the clothing uh the sleep stuff like it, it is it is a lot of uh things that i think only if you go in the military you you appreciate i think a lot of people um looking in may may not picture that part but that is a that is a very um key part to all of it it's not like you're just going out there running around that gear is very cumbersome i have to ask is taking the bomb suit off like is that in like your top three feelings of like relief that you've ever had in your whole life i just can't (laughs) oh my god there's nothing like just peeling off that jacket after you've been in it for two hours it could be 115 degrees outside, but it feels like you just stepped in front of the air conditioner when you peel that sucker off. I just because I just remember for us, you know, the peltors because we're on the radio all the time, just smash your ear. And then finally, when you pop those things off and like your ears can feel air again, 
but your uh, whole body just i would feel like that i imagine him out of that bomb suit would just be mm-hmm. oof. dude at least we had the, the the special helmets where we could kind of put it on the side you know if you're wearing like the old the old bucket cap you know the the mitch um smashing them down you got the peltors and then it just smashes everything but into the bomb your suits that over your whole body. whole body yeah 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 i know yeah i mean they have different sizes of them so it's it's not like it's squishing down on you like they range from small to xl as far as i recall but just that weight and it doesn't breathe at all <laughs> traps it all in but uh like it, physicality wise i would say if you're doing anything to try to prepare that's the best thing you could do like don't study anything they'll teach you all that there but being able to have the cardiovascular energy to just exist in that kind of thing like having strong traps and farmers carries would say i would say are the most two important things you could do having a strong back yeah does it feel claustrophobic in there too because i know that might be because like i i have like a little bit of claustrophobia um i could not imagine stepping into that thing i don't have it too bad but then again i don't have claustrophobia yeah but that the helmet actually has fans in it to at least try to keep your face cool okay that that would probably help a lot but you've got a little battery pack on you that's running those fans and when that battery packs out and you're a couple hundred yards downrange. You got to hoof it all the way back to your team to have them change it out for you. Okay. So that is something about the modern military that people may not, may not picture either all the electronic things that you carry or is a part of your gear batteries, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, batteries is something like we had to have on us. Me and Jay as well with all our gear all the time all different kinds of batteries too everything takes something different they can't even (laughs) be universal yeah exactly man i had a uh overseas i had a 40 millimeter grenade ammo box just filled with different types of batteries (laughs) for all the various crap i had yeah because the robots take batteries the bomb suit takes batteries radios take batteries and just as you said everything's different all different batteries they're all using different batteries um how cool are the robots i mean everybody that thinks they want to go eod is like yeah i really want to play with the robots the robots are fun and all there's actually two that i was able to use while i was in the the pack bot which is the smaller of the two that one's actually backpack portable it's made by the same people that make Roombas and stuff. That's pretty sweet. Interesting. But okay. Your typical EOD robot is a Talon. It's a bulldozer of a robot. Everything is, you manipulate it from treads. There's no shoulder on it. So you want to go left and right, you have to move the whole robot from the treads. And then the arm on it only goes up and down, forward and back. So. It's getting a whole lot of practice on stick time with those, and the controls for the Talon are very unintuitive. It just requires practice. Doesn't sound like the military. Unintuitive? (laughs) (laughs) See, the Packbot... The Packbot had an Xbox controller for its controller. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The the Talon had two little sticks that you had to manipulate that 
yeah the old rc copter like controller <laughs> <laughs> that, that i yeah the rc copter that i'd crash every time yeah yeah that, that's pretty much what it was was those Dude. sorry go ahead no i was just gonna agree with y'all that's pretty much what it was was those remote control helicopters or planes yeah that's what you're controlling everything with i was Give. just gonna talk about y'all remember when those things used to cost 70 bucks for the ones that were like styrofoam so you buy these like expensive little rc copters and then you fly it up and it crashes within Ru five minutes it's like it's on ruined. someone's roof you're like okay well, there it is yeah. <laughs> yeah oh man so um after you got out i have to imagine that there is like a pretty large market for someone who uh knows how to do what you do but i guess it would be more in terms of you doing the same thing you do on, on a civilian bomb squad um and you didn't you're obviously veering away from that now had did you ever think about using um going towards something that used a lot of that knowledge i tried like i looked into it but in the civilian side they are almost all exclusively underneath a police department or fire department and that's just not a route i really wanted to take granted i say that now i uh got firefighter one and two through a volunteer fire department I was on. So I could be on any paid department in Texas if I wanted to, but that that's just not where I'm at in life right now. I got out, wanted to use the GI bill, started to really had to do some thinking about myself, about what I saw in the military, various other things. And that's why I knew I wanted to go into medical field because there's always going to be a need for medical stuff. And yeah. I overseas, you wouldn't even really think about it, but I worked with the, the hospital there on Bagram quite frequently. We'd have to train those same classes I was having to treat, uh, teach for the new guys coming in. I taught to the medical staff too, but it was curtailed specifically to the medical side of things. And I can't go in too deep into that, but I worked very closely with the emergency room there on Bagram. And, and you said something interesting, because um, I like to touch on transitioning, too. So we have people looking to go into the military. I like to give them the full picture, you know, of what's after. But there's also we have um, active duty people and we also have veterans that listen. So um, I like to talk about the transition piece. So, so I got kind of got a similar story in that, you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, there's that question of, you know, when you transition, do you try to take the skills from the military and do something like that? But I think there's a lot of vets like me and you that kind of want, um, there was a piece that we saw uh, and, and we decided to go kind of like a different path, you know? Um, so for me, you know, I'm pursuing physical therapy. You're, you're almost done. You're almost uh, uh, RN. I can say that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's fine. I still have to pass the NCLEX in May when I graduate, but yeah, I use the GI Bill to get my BSN, Bachelor in Nursing. That's so awesome, man. Um, yeah, I got drawn to the medical field as well, and so that's that's what I'm chasing. And um, I think some people, when they get out and they look to transition, it's that it's like a fresh start. It's a new challenge, but it's also um, kind of gives variety in life. So, what was it for you? Why why did you choose? nursing obviously you had interaction with um the emergency team over there but 
you know, can you give more about that? So especially doing what I did, you get used to like, you're either 100% go, go, go or nothing. There's no in between there. And I kind of set thought to myself, what on earth could I do that's just like that? Of course, you got fire. I know there's a lot of veteran firefighters, police, a whole lot of veteran police, emergency room. It's like there's something there. And uh, that's the path I decided to go down is I, of course, you get your uh, registered nurse license. You can work as a nurse anywhere, but specifically emergency room is where I want to go because you it is go, go, go all the time. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know, that's something that a lot of the guys, at least in the field I was in, seemed to need that either nothing going on or just this crazy feral energy. But with a sense of control over it, like... Of course, with a fire, being a firefighter, you're in control. You're trying to get control of the situation. Police, you don't know what you're coming into. Whereas in an emergency room environment, you've got all the tools you need right there. So they're coming, bringing the problem to you instead of you going to the problem. And that's why I kind of went that route. Yeah, I think that's an important skill like Daniel was talking about when transitioning. It's like a lot of people were like, yeah, you know, I liked being an infantryman. I liked being an EOD. I liked it. But being able to identify what made you enjoy it is important. So yeah. you identifying like the kind of overall style of what EOD brought to you and brought to like people like you and you using that to identify something that you could do that was different, but still was going to give you that same style or thing that you, you've kind of felt like you were attached to from being AOD. Same way that I want to be a teacher. Like I like training soldiers in the army. Like that was one of my favorite things was having dudes training them, making sure that they were good at their job was my favorite thing. And now I'm going to get to go be a teacher and, and teach, you know, kids stuff. Um, so I identified like that piece and kind of moved it over. So I think that's a very, very important thing, especially to anybody who's, you know, going to get out of the army or, you know, thinks they only want to do one contract, maybe find something that you enjoy and then use that to decide what you're going to do afterwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The military gives you so many soft skills that like, yeah, they teach everyone to shoot, but they also teach you how to, lead how to teach people things just how to interact even with people that are so much higher rank than you are like i was given presentations to majors colonels and generals when i was over there and just those are skills that you can take to the civilian world as well and identifying those soft skills, not just the ability to hit a target at 300 yards with a rifle is what's important. Yeah, I like that you said that. Yeah, and we've talked about this uh, before, and I think you hit it in a way that um, that is unique and, and uh, provides a really good perspective. Um, yeah, it is. it is taking those skills because you you get so much more than just being an infantryman because I, I think people will think why are you going into the military to do that you know um 
you know, some people might say that to other people looking to do a combat job or something like, how's that going to transfer? Why don't you join the to... air force? <laughs> yeah. How's that going to transfer to the, this job that fits the exact same mold that of what you were doing, but it's all those other skills that you gain. It's working with people who, you know, maybe way different from you have different beliefs, different backgrounds and finding a way to fit together, being a part of a team, being a, being a leader, being a teacher, um, being a, a student, a lot of people don't think about that in the military. You are mm-hmm. definitely a student, especially you, the level of knowledge that you had to have and on the spot. So your ability to take in information and especially um, crucial information and be effective. Um, there's a whole lot of skills that you can pull and be super effective in whatever you choose to do beyond the military. Uh, and I can definitely relate to, you know, for me, when I got out, I needed a challenge, you know. Um, and so I found for for me chasing the challenges uh keeps me keeps me going and you know you you're very um you're very driven in that way as well like you're you're seeking to do new things and challenge yourself so, mm-hmm. very interesting and that was that transition out of the military was honestly one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life like cuz they do a fantastic job of teaching you how to be a soldier, but that transition back to a civilian is not easy. And honestly, if that is one thing I think they need to work on is that transition back to civilian life. Cause it feels like they kind of just go, okay, you're done. And then you're just kind of, you know, what do you mean? Out. You got like three mandatory classes you got to take before you get out. What do you mean? <laughs> That's nah. all you need, dude. Yeah, you get out and you're like, who am I now? You know, there is that big, uh, that big feeling. And then there's so much, um, so much freedom, but also so many choices. There's this decision overload where you can be all you want to be, or you can be nothing at all, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I personally, I went from being in Afghanistan. I got back in the United States August 26th, and I was on my ETS leave in October. Wow, man. <clears throat> and just that is just a whirlwind of a transition that no one's really prepared for until they do it. And the ability to talk to people when you're there and even having those people to talk to is very important. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to find that. Um a community and sense of purpose beyond, but I think finding it is crucial for a lot of us because you know, a lot of guys can get in some real bad places. I know, um, I know I kind of did for a time, you know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't in a good place. And so, you know, kind of identifying things that helped me find that community and sense of purpose was very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You kind of got to, uh, you got to put it together. It's like almost like a puzzle, like piece by piece, like, identifying like what you want to do, who you're going to be, how to deal with people, who you want around you, where you want to live. And like, you just have to kind of take it one step at a time and just kind of move each piece into place as you go. But it is definitely not an easy transition. No, but kind of going back to, I keep thinking of things we talked about earlier, like the even you're an infantryman. What are you going to do with that in the outside world? Every single soldier in the military 
Monday morning has to do preventative maintenance on their vehicles. And that's just one thing that that attention to detail, just something as simple as that, that you don't even think of could kickstart a career. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's hard to find good, good help. I mean, realistically any job um, in the, in the world outside of the military, it is really hard to find good help. People are going to show up on time, do what they're supposed to do. And, and the military Especially gives now. you all that. Yeah. It's, yeah. I went mm-hmm. to, I'm telling you, I, I, so where I've lived hasn't really been an issue since COVID, but like I went to Nashville uh, over Thanksgiving and like they have restaurants that like people are waiting to go inside. They have nothing but empty tables. They don't even have people to like wait the tables. So you have to wait. They only have like Staffing six tables. Hard. Yeah, it's tough. People don't show up. People call in. Um, and I was someone who had called after a surgery to have a, a helper there and they just never showed up. Wow. Like it's just people, you know, that was showing up and being on time is definitely one thing that the military drills into your soul yeah we always say that the person that you thought was the worst person in your unit or just in general you're like that that guy he sucks he can't get anything right i would in in the civilian world give me that guy i want that guy to come work for me he's a dream come true dude you know absolutely because I mean? that guy would at least show up on time and in the right uniform yeah right. and in the civilian world you wouldn't think that would be hard but I personally get nervous if I'm not somewhere 15 minutes early anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and just seeing people strolling in five minutes late somewhere blows my mind. Oh, even like class when I'm in school and these, you know, 18 year old kids show up, you know, 45 minutes into a class. I'm like, dude, I don't know how you, <laughs> I would be sweating. Even if it was like, I would even told their teacher, I was like, I'm going to be a little late today for something. I'm still sweating. Like, I, I got to be there. Oh, man. I don't know how these kids do it sometimes. <laughs> I don't either. I've I've showed up to class two hours early before just because I wanted to make sure I got there on time. Oh, like the first week when you don't know exactly where everything is. You're like, I'll just go, oh, I'll go yeah. a little early. You know, you're by an hour, all your classes are hour and a half beforehand. So my, what was eye-opening for me was my first job after the military. I was a mattress salesman. So we'd run the store by ourselves. We'd, we'd manage... Um, but we trade off like there was a usually two managers, maybe three that would run a store. And sometimes we change locations. But anyways, when I'd go to relieve somebody, what would drive me crazy is is like these people would unlock the door. There's two doors. They would unlock one side of the door and just go straight beeline it straight for the desk and just sit there and be a blob on the chair. Um, they wouldn't even unlock the other side. So like I would come there and go to pull the handle. And it's locked. It would drive me crazy because I'm like, all you have to do is flip this little thing and then it's unlocked and you got both doors unlocked and you don't have like customers yanking doors and it's like locked. I don't know. It just drove me crazy. And they wouldn't turn the open sign on. It was like the two things they would not do. It was just like they walked in just to go straight to the seat and sit there and do nothing. <laughs> it's like, I was like, why are they paying you <laughs> to unlock one door? <laughs> you know, so. Man, it's just mind blowing the if you show up, doesn't matter what job you did in the military. If you show up to a job after in the civilian world, you're going to impress anybody just with your ability to be there on time. You might not even know a darn thing of what you're doing, but just showing up. Yeah. And the, the discipline that the military instills in you is, works wonders in the civilian world. 
Yeah, I think discipline and adaptability are probably the two mm -hmm. biggest like uh, things that the army gives you that'll be helpful for you your, the rest of your whole life. And pride in your performance because your performance is a reflection of yourself. So mm -hmm. a lot of people, they go there and they just act like everything's a chore. It's like, dude, they're paying you to be here. Like, this is your job. Like, I don't know. I always view my performance as a reflection of myself. I guess that's kind of ingrained in me. So like, I want to perform well as a re reflection of me. And also, you know, there's also that... Um, uh, call it brainwash or whatever, but I, I still feel like I'm a, a reflection of a ranger and where I come from, you know, always in the back of my mind, even if I don't present it, you know, that's always in the back of my mind too. I mean, yeah, I know you don't have tattoos, but I do. And some of them are very like most people in the military, if they get a tattoo, it's like, Oh, you were in the military. Like I, I went and got my senior badge tattooed on me whenever yeah. I got it, just because that's something to be proud of. But I will forever have be representing that the rest of my life. Yeah. Right? And with that comes a certain set of expectations and just a way you carry yourself that you got to set a good example for not only yourself, but everyone else who's looking at you and like, oh, because once someone finds out you were in the military you become that person's like example of what a veteran is and i mean you got to set a good example for people yeah this has been a a fantastic podcast um is there anything that you want to leave people with any uh, final statements Yeah. Um, so if you think you want to go to the EOD route in your career in the military, know 100% that that is what you want to do. Because as we were talking with these guys earlier, asking me about people who failed out, they will reassign you to whatever job the Army needs. And when I was going through school, it was the guys that the guys that wanted to be there, they all made it. It was the ones who were like, Eh, I could do it. I could not. That ended up scrubbing toilets for five years in the army. Okay. It's that a drive in you that you need. And that's good to carry with you anywhere. Just that fire that drives who you are as a person. And especially going through something as strenuous as EOD school is, you need it to survive. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, you got anything? Um, no, not really. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. This was a great podcast. Yeah, we appreciate it. This is an awesome podcast. <clears throat> no yeah, problem. I learned a lot. <clears throat> yeah, really, this is super interesting to talk about. And I, and I also want to tell uh, the viewers, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, as always, be sure to check out trainlikearanger.com where we have workout programs, nutrition programs, merchant apparel, and as always, much more on the agenda. So you guys interested in EOD school, here's my, here's my sales pitch of the day. Uh, advanced military prep program, TLR warrior program, great programs for that. John, thank you so much again for your time and, and for your knowledge. This has been a blast. It was happy to sit here and talk with y'all. And you guys out there training, remember to train to your utmost potential like a ranger. See you guys. See you.